Miller and Condon. Ken Miller. Oh, Trent Condon. Score. This is Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Good morning and welcome in. Miller and Condon on the air with you. Wrapping up the week on a Friday as we talk the world of sports. Take it up until 1 o'clock here today. Trent Condon, final show minus Ken Miller as he joins us here today. We are joined by John Cannon who is with us throughout the day today. We will talk a whole lot about everything going on in the world of sports with him. Coming up today on the BMW of Des Moines guest list, we'll kick things off here at about 11.30 as we will be joined by Chris Williams from Cyclone Fanatic and Iowa Everywhere. A look at the Big 12, the latest in the realignment conversation, Colorado, Arizona, and company. Will they, won't they? What's happening on that front? And a whole lot more coming up with Chris Williams here at the bottom of the hour. 12.25, Tom Caker from HawkeyeReport.com. We'll stop by, talk plenty of Hawkeyes with him. Big recruiting weekends, camps going on on the football side of things, and, of course, the release yesterday afternoon of the football schedules for 2024 and 2025 in the Big Ten. And then we will give you an opportunity to win Claxon's Barbecue coming up about 12.45 or so, your opportunity to win some barbecue from Claxon's in Altoona. John Cannon here with us the final day of Ken's vacation. He'll be getting back to town tomorrow. You're in the hot seat. How you doing, John? Well, when he hears the, the, me on the show, he, he may get back sooner. We'll see. <laughs> no, no. He's in California still doing his thing. Doing his thing. All right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we'll talk a little job. hockey for him. I've got a couple, little hockey thing you know, that, I, that I want to chat about, too. So I had it on last night, flipped it on at the exact right time, finally got the kids down, got to bed, and got into it with about five minutes remaining in the third. I just I can't get into the series. It's difficult as somebody that is very much a spring-only hockey fan. It just doesn't do it. It's Vegas. It's Florida. Yeah, I know some of the names. Obviously, great goaltending out of Florida and what we have with Kachuk. And yes, I get it. It just, I don't know if it's the jerseys. I don't know if it's storylines that aren't grabbing. I'm not sure what it is. I can't get into the series. Well, I agree with all that. I, I, I have the same problem. And I, I'm just marveling at a city doing what Miami's doing right now. Has there ever been a city? Where the basketball and hockey teams both were eighth seeds going into the playoffs, mm-hmm. both beat the number one seed, both got to the conference finals, and now they're each down 2-1 in their respective series. That really is the only thing that makes both of them interesting for me. Right, <laughs> right. yeah. <laughs> is that. Um, but I, you know, the, what the, I remember watching the Panthers in that game seven against Boston and I was somewhere on the road we're driving back from Phoenix and I don't even remember where we were, but I was looking at it. It was in an Applebee's. I'm looking at it way across the restaurant going, I think, is that the red team that's, that's celebrating and pouring out of the bench and all that? That's, <laughs> that's not Boston. That's, that's not supposed to happen. And it's, right. it's just gone on from there. That is what we get with hockey year after year. And you win the president's cup. It's not very good. Well, the team the year before was the Florida Panthers that won the president's cup and was ousted early in the playoffs. It's, it's a sport that, again, I don't know, obviously, like somebody like Ken. I don't even know it on the most surface level. I enjoy it come playoff time. I root for the Minnesota Wild. But there is a part of it that just seems so random. Yeah. That, yes, you can have a lot more skill. You can have a lot more. But even in a seven-game series, 
the best team doesn't win. And because of that, I don't know, maybe as a casual fan, that makes it more difficult for me. Because if you're a casual fan of something, usually you want to see greatness. And I don't feel like we get greatness all the time. I mean, Connor McDavid, Ken talks about him all the time. And I watch him and he's good, but he doesn't win. And I understand that's goaltending, that's their defense. I understand that's a problem with Edmonton. But because of that, maybe that's the reason that the sport, not just for me, but for the sporting public across the country, the sport that not a lot of people play, coupled with it's just difficult, even if you just want to be a casual fan come playoff time, to get in there because the best don't always win. And I think that's what we like to see usually with sport, right? Upsets are great. But ultimately, we want to see greatness also prevail. Right. We don't want we don't want randomness, mm-hmm. and that's what we experienced a little bit in the NCAA tournament this year. Right. And it was like that was great until it wasn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was like, wait a minute, I don't know any of these guys. Uh, and, Florida Atlantic. Hmm. Yeah, and a great story, but uh, but after a while, you just you really want to see programs that you know. But I think in college basketball and really college sports in general, that's going away because of the transfer portal. You're not going to have players that you know at the teams where they've been. You're going to have players you know in totally different uniforms and in different places. And I, I do think there's a price to pay for that. I know that it's great for the athletes. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when I was doing radio and I started talking about the, the athletes have to be compensated. This was not what I had in mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> We we went from zero to a million. Yeah, this about, wasn't it. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, let's let's make sure that they've got enough money to buy a pizza. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really important. Right. And and this was not what I had in mind. And I think it's it's you know it's the end of the world as we know it as far as uh, as college sports is concerned. And and then that bleeds into pro sports because people come into the pro t- leagues and you don't really know who they are or where they've been mm-hmm. or what their history is. You didn't see them in college. So I think that uh, sports is at a really weird time right now. But, you know, so is everything else. That's true. We're definitely much in that. So you mentioned you have a background in sports. For people that are listening right now, like, boy, I know that voice. You call into KXNO from time to time. We hear you. We've talked a lot with you during the NBAs with Golden State. So that's a big part of your past. Fill the listeners in a little bit, John Cannon, kind of who you are and your background in the world of sports. Okay. So I grew up sports fan from the jump. My dad was covering high school sports for a, a local newspaper in San Francisco, and he would bring me to games, and I just got hooked. It mm-hmm. just, you know, what happened? And I, when, when I'd go to the library when I was in first grade, I'd get first, I'd get Sports Illustrated, and my first grade teacher would, you know, call my parents and say, "There's something wrong with your son. He's getting, <laughs> he's getting Sports <laughs> Illustrated." And my mom's saying, "Look, he's reading. Uh-huh. Don't, don't leave him alone." Right. So um, I, I just always wanted to be a ball player until I got baseball cards and I none of those guys had glasses on and I, I wore glasses and uh-huh. I thought okay that's not going to work I'm going to have to do something else how about radio so I thought okay I'm going to be a broadcaster for a major league baseball team and that mm-hmm. became the thing and I thought about very little else um, for for many years really uh, but I when I got to college I worked in the sports information office I did public address announcing for the basketball team um, I loved stats loved sports I did all the board games stratomatic all that stuff when I was a kid and then I gradually somehow wound up my big break was with uh, one of those national radio networks out of las vegas in 92 so i was um, a little over 30 and had my first radio show and it was great and then the guy that hired me got fired and uh that was where larry kotler had the show before me oh okay um, in that that place and um so the guy that hired me got fired and as often happens you know I, i was the last guy he had hired so i was the first one out and i was back home with mom and dad sending out tapes and got a job in Phoenix and wound up in Phoenix for seven years on radio and TV. Um, 
and and it was it was a gas. I was the pregame, halftime, postgame host for the Suns TV home games. And so I got to work a lot of games, but I didn't have to travel. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, that was all great until they lost to the Rockets those two years in a row um, in the in the playoffs when they were you know favor one year, one year they were up three one and mm-hmm. lost with two games at home. Um, and you know for everybody that was a bummer for me. You know I was suddenly my season was over and I because I got and I got paid by the game, so it, oh, there was an wow. economic impact to it as well. Uh, so. I did that for a while, and then um, I quit the radio thing because it was beating me up after a while, day, day after day, as, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was doing four hours by myself, so Ooh, that was yeah. a little different. I've done that before. Yeah. Um, and so I wound up, uh, my wife and I moved to San Francisco, um, back where I was from, and I had to get a real job, so I got into mortgage, and I wound up um, doing mortgages, and I've been doing it for 22 years, and I work right now for Wintrust Mortgage here in Phoenix, in Phoenix, in Des Moines. I've been there five years, and uh, and I really dig it. I, I like two things about doing mortgages. I like lowering people's rate on a refi, which mm-hmm. we are not doing a lot of <laughs> these <laughs> not days. Not right now, right? <laughs> no. Um, and I and I like getting people into their first home, which we are doing a lot of mm-hmm. right now, um, and we have some down payment assistance programs that are spectacular. And so I, I welcome anyone. You can find me on Facebook at John Cannon. Um, I do have a, a business page on Facebook as well. Um, but uh, just going to John Cannon and messaging me on that um, would be a, a good way if you are a person that wants to buy a house and you haven't had one before and you've got pretty good income but not great income. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can qualify for some of these down payment assistance programs that we have going on uh, would be spectacular. But I have... I have been around sports my whole life. I've got a deep background in women's sports because of doing uh, a lot of working in the college world. You, you do a lot um, of that. And I, my first job was in St. Louis. My first job out of college was in St. Louis as a women's uh, conference uh, publicity director. And that conference became the Missouri Valley. And, and now, so Drake was in that conference at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, never got to Des Moines. It was one of only two cities in the conference I didn't get to. So when um, we moved here, it was all new to me. It's been eight years. Right? Wow. This summer, it will be eight years since we moved here. And I cannot believe how, how quickly that has gone. So background in San Francisco, many years in Phoenix. And seven years in Sacramento. And seven years in Sacramento. Um, I worked at Sacramento State um, as the SID there, and then I got into uh, radio sales there and also was doing the Sac State football games on the weekends and, and selling those. You'd be proud of me. I was out there selling advertising <laughs> there for games go. I was doing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Stop me if that sounds familiar. Uh-huh. Um, and then that led into getting the uh, the radio job in in Vegas and then in, in Phoenix was really started with doing color on uh, with Tim Roy, who's the radio guy for the Warriors and has been for now 25 years. And so, um, in fact, when they were in Phoenix uh, last fall, I was there and he brought me in to do stats. When was the last time you were at an NBA game? Uh, it's been a while. It was a T-Wolves game. I believe it was before kids. So we're talking over eight years ago. Okay. I was a similar situation. It had been 10 or 11 years since I'd been to an NBA game. I could not believe how loud (laughs) it is all the time. Uh I mean, from about an hour before the game, guys are out doing warmups and the music's just pounding and, and I could hardly think. And then I'm sitting between Tim Roy and then Jim Barnett, former warrior player, played for a lot of teams. Um, in the NBA, he's 80 years old, and he does color for the, the Warriors. And I'm sitting between them, and I cannot hear them. 
and they didn't have a headset for me. Hmm. So I could only hear them if they turned to talk to each other. They had to talk across me, yep. and I could hear them. Other than that, I was in a silo. It was it was insane. That's I don't tough. know how people do it. But anyway, so I'm an old guy now. I go to the, the basketball game, and I complain about how loud it is. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm getting there, too. Okay, good. I, I'm Welcome. getting there. I'm advancing to that part of, of my life as yeah. well. A lot more so, that, so that's why I knew when, when Harrison Barnes got traded to Sacramento, mm-hmm. I knew he would like it. Because Sacramento is very much like the Midwest. Mm-hmm. It is a agricultural community. You, when you fly into Sacramento, a buddy of mine who's from southern Indiana flew in to see me in Sacramento. And he says, man, I thought I was going home when I was landing uh, here in, in Sacramento. And and the players that are from Iowa, now we got Murray out there. Mm-hmm. And um, the, those guys, they, they like it there. The community welcomes them. And, and I think that uh, people think, oh, capital of, Sacra- of California, it's going to be a big, big city. It's a big, small city, Sacramento. So you're in Des Moines. I'm in Des Moines. And five years, what brought you from those outposts to the middle of America? Well, my wife's a college professor, and we were, after several years on this mortgage merry-go-round, it was a commission-only job. So, you know, it's great sometimes, it's not great other times. And and we also uh, bought a house in 05, which was kind of the top of the market out there at the time, and realized, you know, this is not sustainable. We can't, right. we can't retire here on this mortgage that we're going to have here. So we started looking for a place where she could work and um, where, because college professors kind of make the same than wherever they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, even in, in the California system, whether you work in Chico, which is a very small market and very cheap housing, or you work in San Francisco, you get paid on the same scale. So we were like, this isn't working. And we thought, let's get a job. So she started applying for jobs and she was a finalist for a number of jobs because she has got a great background, but she needed a PhD for all of those jobs. Um, and then we finally, uh, Drake offered her a job and didn't care that she didn't have a PhD. And so we drove out here to actually start working there. Um, and after a couple of years, she didn't dig that much. And so she got a job at Iowa state and she taught there for four years and liked it much better. Um, despite the commute, uh, <laughs> but the, the commute there when you're, you know, living in California a long time, I and mean, she was living in San Francisco and working at San Jose state for a few years. And that's, you know, that's worse. So that didn't scare her. But um, she decided once we got the girls off to school two years ago, I have twin daughters. Um, one's going to Iowa State and one's going to Iowa. And literally, we dropped the second one off on a Tuesday afternoon, took her, took her to lunch, fixed up her dorm room, got back to Des Moines. Grace already had her car packed. We jumped in it and took off for Phoenix because she was starting a PhD program at Arizona State University, and her first class was Thursday night. Oh, so this wow. was Tuesday. So we drove out there, one stop in Wichita, one stop in Gallup, got there like an hour and a half before her class on Thursday night, and we've spent the last two years, I've been bouncing back and forth. She's wow. been in an apartment out there, going to classes, had to, had to go to classes on the ground out there, and uh, we have completed that section of her PhD work. She has more to do, but she can do it from here. So now we're just here, and God, it feels great. I'm sure. Boy, that is a whirlwind. Twin daughters, one at Iowa, one at Iowa State. Yep. How does that happen? Well, it. They. Because uh, when I mean, I would think from the outside, knowing the twins that I know throughout my life, maybe they want to go together. Well, ours were ready for some time apart. Yeah, and and then they also have personalities that really matched. Um, Francesca, who's in uh, Iowa City, had gone there a couple times on debate trips. She went to Valley and was on the debate team and mm-hmm. went there a couple times and liked the way the college campus melded with the city. Yeah. You know, and um, Grace, being from Michigan, you know, realized that's very much like Ann Arbor. Um, now, Grace went to Michigan State, which is 
not only a lot more like Iowa State, but I think the campus was actually designed by the same person who designed Michigan State, designed Iowa State. Mm-hmm. And so, and Julia liked that, how the campus was self-contained and then the city was different. So they both um, just found the place that they wanted to go and and it worked out and, and they have been able to kind of plow their own ground and find their own friends and do all that stuff. Because, mm-hmm. you know, as long as they were together, they're going to fill each other's holes. Julia never were, knew where we were going because... Francesca had a GPS in her head and could remember everything. Julia didn't have to. Uh-huh. They, were like, they were like an old married couple when they were eight. <laughs> they were just figuring out what each one was good at uh-huh. and filling each other's holes. So, um, so, so that's how thing. that wound up. A good thing that they a good thing. off. Yeah. 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 And went their own direction. So you being a big sports fan, is there a rivalry? I mean, are they both big sports fans? Julia's a big sports fan. They're, they're um, like the Cyhawk Twitter when they're fighting with each other about <laughs> Iowa State? Francesca's not a big sports fan, but she did have resentment last year when um, when Iowa State won in uh, Iowa City and was not nice about it. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, right. That downtown was not a friendly place after <laughs> uh-huh. that. And she, she resented that. I but bet. It wasn't the game result so much. It was the behavior afterward uh-huh. that she didn't like so much. Uh, Julia is the one that's you know following games on the... On, on her phone and also is a big uh, Giants and Warriors and 49ers fan. And then the whole Brock Purdy thing happens. Right. And she's already a 49er fan. She's an, she's an Iowa State fan. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was a gas. And we're looking forward to his full recovery and, and uh, doing that again this year. Well, we love to talk NBA with you during this time of year. And I want to get into that with you here a little bit. As the series now 2-1 after Denver takes Game 3 pretty comfortably going into the series I found it incredibly difficult to find a path to Miami to win this series. Not win a game, even win a couple of games, but but to ultimately win that. And nothing that I've seen three games in has changed that. Can Miami still have a game where they hit 18 threes and win another one? Absolutely. But to win four, I just can't see the path for Miami. Are you in the same spot? Well, I, I would say that if I hadn't seen what they've already done during these playoffs. And, and Trent, I was at Buffalo Wild Wings watching the play-in game. Mm-hmm. I was like, these guys are terrible. They suck. This is awful. <laughs> yeah. I saw that, and, and the Lakers that night. I was like, I'm convinced that neither of them was going anywhere, uh-huh. and then, you know, shows, shows what I know. And then, and then Tyler Harrow gets hurt in the first game against Milwaukee, and it's like, they're even worse, but they're better. So I, I am not ready to write them off. Here's the thing that's interesting about playoffs like this. This is the first game, tonight, is the first game that both teams need. Mm-hmm. The, the seven-game playoff, very rarely do you have a game where both teams need it. A game one, they, they both want it, you know, and, and maybe you could say Miami needed it to get, you know, some momentum and, and have a chance in the series. So they played harder and they won. Game two, Denver needed it. Miami didn't need it. They already had their win, right? Denver played like they needed it, and they won the game. And then in game three, Miami... Just kind of, they were home, and they just, they just never looked good. I think tonight they're going to approach this game differently, and they're they're going to play hard. Denver's battle is: can they play like they need this game and not just want this game? Steve Kerr said the first year the Warriors were in the finals, and he said it every year since. It's supposed to be hard. It's the finals. Mm-hmm. It's never easy, and so I think that's Miami can do it. Spolstra's a wizard. Yeah, and he he is great with adjustments. 
just whether they have enough talent and whether their role players can can give you know, Butler the support that he needs. That's the big question. And and Denver is is very fun to watch. They remind me a lot of the way the Warriors played you know mm-hmm. a few years ago. And they just move the ball so well, and they move each other so well um, that they're fun to watch. I would agree they're the favorite, but you know I wouldn't rule out uh, Miami doing something crazy. So tonight, you mentioned Spolstra, and that's what I keep coming back to here. Quick turnaround. Who do you trust more, Michael Malone or Spolstra? Well, it's Spolstra. And I think benefit of the doubt definitely has to go that way. And what we've seen throughout this playoffs and throughout his coaching tenure Pushing those right buttons, understanding, and when you do something well, then taking it away the next game. And I think they're going to come up with a plan. We see Michael Porter Jr. really struggle here. You're going to put him out there? He's going to have to beat us. He's going to have to prove that he can hit the shots that he's, what, now 3-19 and from 3 in the first three games. You're going to have to prove it. Caldwell Pope, you're going to have to be the guy. We're not going to let Joker, we're not going to let Murray be the guys again after the ridiculous 30-point triple-doubles that both those guys had back in Game 3. We're not going to allow that to happen. I think he's going to hit those right buttons. And, you know, Jimmy Butler, after he had the ankle turn in the next series, he hasn't been the same, quite same guy that we saw, mm-hmm. certainly in the Milwaukee series in the first half of the Knicks series. But he got going a little bit there in Game 3, even where they never could get over the hump. Denver just kept him at arm's reach away basically the whole game. I think maybe Butler got a little something going there. I don't know injury-wise where he is. He certainly doesn't look like the same guy we saw a month ago. But I believe that he's got something going here. And the rest of those guys at home, somebody's going to step up. We're going to finally see Caleb Martin be the guy we saw against the Celtics. We're going to see Vincent have another one of those performances. Duck and Rock. One of those guys comes out there, hits five or six three-pointers. Butler does his thing. I think Denver is in trouble tonight. And it's Spolstra... And it's the role guys, I think, that are going to help out for Miami. Now, weren't you guys just telling me that Miami doesn't have a path? They, I, I if still they win this they game, it's a, I, I it's a three-game series. It's 2-2, two, two, and I still, <laughs> I still can't see them getting two more, even if they get tonight. I know it's crazy. And, it, yeah, the thought process makes it difficult. What are you talking about, Con? It'd be a three-game right. series. Uh, do I have time to, to vent for a minute about something Absolutely. in sports? Okay, so you mentioned Malone and you mentioned Spolstra. And they have something in common. They've been in those jobs a long time. They have. And I don't get why NBA teams are pulling the trigger on guys so quickly after they've had success. Mm-hmm. They've, they've, they're a known quantity. Why, why don't you work? And I understand you can't fire all the players. Yeah, I get that. But you can work the roster. You can take time. You can let your culture develop instead of continually having to start over. It's a huge deal when you have to start over. Mm-hmm. And when you look at how much success, obviously the Warriors had success right out of the gate with Kerr because he was, he was ready. I mean, he was like a, a coach that had been in the microwave for a while uh, cooking and they opened the door and bing. And, and cause he had been, he had a stack full of notes of out of bounds plays. He was doing all those TNT games and talking to coaches mm-hmm. and players and all those pregame meetings and, and, and playing for pop and playing for Jackson. And I mean, he was really ready to, um, to do this. And, and I, but most coaches take some time. And even if there's success right away, a lot of time that's just because the talent was there from the previous regime. Mm-hmm. But give them time. I, I just, I'm disappointed that Phoenix pulled the trigger on Monty Williams. Yes. I, I'm, you know, I don't know why Toronto thinks they can really improve on Nick Nurse. They can't. And, and I, I just, I don't get it. And, and the evidence is out there 
that Malone is really a great example mm-hmm. because Spolster's been to the finals already. Okay, so they have some dark years, and they're you know, but that didn't save Nick Nurse, right? It didn't. And and you know, Pat Riley, but in Milwaukee, Pat Riley knows how this works. Mm-hmm. Pat Riley knows how good this guy is, and. <clears throat> Budenholzer may be a different thing. There were some tactical... Yes, that that was a big piece of him. And certainly what they do offensively, I think, was always the big question mark about him. Yeah, and, and I, they just were some brain-dead moments in, yeah. that, in that series that, that made you wonder. But I think for some of these guys, <clears throat> they had done it, and, and they deserved the chance to ride it out. And it's happening in baseball, too. So Torrey Lovello, the, mm-hmm. the Diamondbacks manager, he's been there about six years. And he improved them the first three years, and they, and then they had a couple of setbacks. The management stayed with them, and now it's been six years. They're they're leading the West, or I didn't look today, but they're right up there. Yeah, and yet they extended him for one year. It's well, like at least he got an extension, though, better and, than the alternative. And they're saying, well, he he really. You know, he, he's saying things in the locker room and it's really important, or clubhouse, in the clubhouse, and it's really important that the players know that he's going to be here. And so extend him for three years, if you think that's true, because you really do want the players to come in, the, like the rookies, <clears throat> excuse me, the rookies will get called up and and then they go back down, but they've had a taste of it, right? They've been there for two weeks or whatever. You don't want them to come back the next year and there's a different manager, a whole different coaching staff, a whole different thing. You want that experience they got to mean something. And that's what these teams do. The Giants, who of course are my team. Yeah. All right. Roger Craig. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Philippe Lou. Wait, Dusty Baker. Dusty. Then Philippe Alou. Then Bruce Bochy. Four managers mm-hmm. from 1986 to 2019. And they were winning for a lot of... They had some bad years, but they were really successful. They were in the playoffs in the 80s. They were in the playoffs in the 90s. Mm-hmm. They were in the World Series in 2002. And then they were in the World Series 10, 12, 14. And, and the culture never really changed. They made these management changes every 10 years or so. And and I just don't know why teams don't look at that and say, look, we got a guy, he's been winning. So what if he loses for a year or two? We're staying with him. Yeah. And Gabe Kapler now is taking over. He's got four years. And though this is a down year. I mean, it, I don't think it's going to wind up being a down year. There are a couple of games over. That, well, they got the Rockies at a good time. The Rockies are like the downslope in a cross-country race. Whatever runners on that part of the course picks up ground on everybody else. It feels good. So, so they, just, they just won three games against the Rockies, two of them coming behind in the eighth inning. Uh, so that's good. Then that, they're two games over. They had a brutal April. They had a much better May. And I think Kapler's very good. And the bullpen is lights out. And your manager can look really good when your yes. bullpen's getting guys out. When you're pull, pushing buttons in the bullpen and they're getting guys out, you look like a, a miracle worker. We'll talk more baseball a little bit later on. John Cannon's got something. No, Ken is gone. Robo-umps. Cannon's ready oh, for it, too. Dude. 
We'll take a quick time out when we come back on the other side. Going to shift, change gears, and get into college athletics. The latest in the Big 12, Cyclone Sports Talk with Chris Williams. He joins us as we continue on a Friday. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3. Into the game. Eleven thirty-three on a Friday. Miller and Condon taking you up until one here on one hundred six point three KXNO minus the Miller plus a Cannon. John Cannon hanging out with me today. Is that your real name or is that a stage name, dude? There's just no way I could have had a fake name on the radio. That, that, I would never have been able to to remember it. One of my first journalism communication classes at Iowa, we had to come up with a stage name, if you will, and. I went, kind of liked, I like my name, Trent. So I decided to make it Trenton. It's not actually Trenton, just Trenton. Trojan. <laughs> yeah. You were, you were all grown up now, well, weren't you? I, I was all of 18 years old. <laughs> yeah. I thought I was pretty witty at the yeah. time. Chris Williams doesn't have a name, at least that I know of. Williams, that's your real name, right? Yeah, you there? Yeah, you got us, Chris. Uh, I do now. You kicked me off. Now I'm back. <laughs> okay. Good. We got you back on. Chris Williams joining us. Yeah. Chris, in your communication classes at Iowa State, did you ever have to come up with a different name, something different? Or you have just a, a normal standard name. You had to put the initial there on Twitter because you're not the only Chris Williams. No, there's a lot of us. There was once a Virginia basketball player. Uh-huh. Uh, he was like, he was like all ACC. There was a... There's been a couple of NFL players. Yeah, like I'm playing Jane, man. There's a, there's a million of us out there. Well, not playing Jane right now is what is happening in the Big 12. The continued speculation. Colorado had their Board of Regents meeting earlier this week. There was a line item on there, something with athletics. Not a whole lot of details in it. Here we are on Friday. Anything further, or is it just where we've been for basically months now? Rampant months. speculation. Yeah. Years. But, yeah, years, right. A lot of speculation, but obviously nothing that we can run with at this point. Yeah, I don't I don't really think anything's changed other than the, the clock keeps ticking, right? I mean, it's just the longer it goes on, the more urgent I think everybody is. But I listen, I just think that the Big 12's been there. If Colorado wanted to make the jump, they could have done it by now. Clearly, I was talking about this asshole the other day on our show, and it's like it's got to be a pain in the ass to change conferences. I don't know enough about it, but like there's a lot of it's got to be really, really, really compelling. And you know, I I don't think it's any different now than it was two months ago. When sure, if their number sucks financially, I think Colorado will make the jump. If it's comparable to the Big Twelve, I don't think that they will. I think you wait it out. I think you got this new playoff coming. Um, you know, you've got a better chance probably if you're Colorado playoff in that Pac-12 than you do in this new Big 12, I think. So, like, that's just kind of where I'm at. I think you're just, you're still waiting. If that number sucks, they're going to leave. Like, they wouldn't have been meeting with Brett Yormark half a dozen times like these schools have if there wasn't real interest. But it's also, I don't blame them. Like, the college sports fan in me wants the Pac-12 to exist. I hate these big conferences. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I I want you know the only one I really want in the Big Twelve is Colorado because there's tradition there. There's there's history there. Yeah, I, they're I'm coming a, back. I'm right. old, yeah, 
I'm old school like that, I guess, right? And, like, I wish all of these leagues were 10 teams in regional. But, um, you know, I'm also I'm a Big 12 fan. My livelihood greatly depends on the Big 12 being a real league. And from, from that standpoint, you know, you're tired of being kicked around for the last 15 years. And it's, you know, it's kind of interesting to see the Big 12 in a, in a position of power, which I, you know, they don't have to do anything. They've got their deal. Uh, they've got a pretty decent future right now. I think that on solid footing to maybe be league number three, you know, 10 years from now. So it's kind of a just wait and see. But, yeah, I just Colorado's had all the opportunities to leave, and they haven't. They're waiting to see what that deal is. And once it comes in, that's when everything's going to happen, Chris, one way or the other. You, you bring up a really important part, and – Oh, there was another article the other day talking about the Big Ten has vetted 10 different programs across the country. Washington, Oregon, who've been ballyhooed the most, Stanford, Cal, Duke, Miami, a few others that were on that list. But for those schools, and for a place like Colorado, or in Arizona, where the Big 12 is currently constructed, what's a better path into the new 12-team playoff? The way it's currently constructed, or keep adding and adding and adding, when we don't know what the criteria is going to be in the playoff, I think it makes a whole lot more sense. And if the money is at least, say, 80% for Colorado of what they could get in the Big 12, that's what the new Pac-12 deal is. If it's that, you're in a 10-team league, 12 if they add SMU and San Diego State, that passes a whole lot easier than a 16-team Big 12 to get into the new playoff. No doubt. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. That's why, actually, in a really weird way, we probably don't have enough time for this right now, but I I like where Iowa State football is at. And yeah. Here because you're you're finally punching at your own weight, mm-hmm. right? Like, I actually think that they've got a better chance to win Big Twelve championships than Osselberger does, and everybody knows how big of a fan I am of him. Mm-hmm. But you're you're basically in the SEC of basketball, right? And in football, like you know, now you've you've got a shot. Like some of these good Campbell teams would have had a legitimate shot to. I don't know about go undefeated. That that still seems kind of far fetched, but. You know, that 2020 team certainly could have been in the playoff, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other thing about Colorado that's just really interesting, I think they're in a different spot than everybody else in that Pac-12, and I think this is why everybody thinks they're the one that would make the jump. There's two things. One, they've been there before. They've done both things, right? So they know if they're miserable there, and they know if they liked it better back in the day. They actually have that, you know, that guide to go off of. Two, the amount of money, it's a little bit getting to be like a UCLA situation, guys, where they've lost so much money since they switched leagues. There, there was that study done. They're like $54 million in the hole compared to if they just would have stayed in the Big 12 and never made a jump, which is a massive number, mm-hmm. especially for a program that, you know, before Dion, you know, isn't filling up its stadium. There's a ton of things to do out there. We've, we've heard all about it. People, oh, they got the mountains. You know, they're always outdoors. They don't go to football. They're in debt. And, you know, how how bad is their financial situation? So th- this is a situation for maybe for Colorado. It's not just, oh, how close are we to getting to the football, but they actually need that financial security. I don't think UCLA wanted to go to the Big Ten. I, I really don't. Like, I why would they? It's it's not a good fit for them. They, they've got to go to Maryland and Rutgers next year. It's right. stupid. Yeah. But they they didn't have a choice. They're they're going bankrupt. They had to take that money. So all these schools are kind of in different spots. You got the Arizona schools that are they tied together? Are they not? 
Utah really doesn't have any appetite to go to the Big 12. It's um, it's fascinating. I've said all the time on these deals, like the, uh, you know, we had the 10-part Last Dance documentary. Like, there could be a 20-part realignment series at some point. Somebody's going to write a hell of a book on all this, um, you know, at some point. And this, you know, how much of this is your mark leaking stuff? How much of this is, you know, real? I, I really don't know. But certainly, based on everything I've outlined, the Colorado thing has real legitimate smoke. And if anybody's going to make the jump, it would be them, in my opinion. Chris, I, I want to ask you about the impact of Deion Sanders at Colorado. I, I'm, a, I'm a Dion believer and a Dion fan. And I, I don't, for anyone that hasn't seen the 30 for 30 hmm. about Deion Sanders playing baseball and football in the same day, needs to. Hmm. Be, not just yeah. because of yeah. that thing but because it will remind you number one how great a player he was at both of those sports and also the kind of communicator he is when they shot him in that interview it was one scene it they just shot it all at one time and he was sitting with on a folding chair that was turned around so he had his arms up on the back of the chair and he was looking right at the camera and talking and you just cannot help but be compelled by this guy so i i get his impact on kids and and parents and recruiting and all that stuff. But is it a little bit fool's gold to be, to be counting on Colorado to be as they seemed as their spring game was, (laughs) is that what Colorado really is going to be? And will it be that way for the next 10 or 15 years? Or would, would somebody betting on Colorado right now or bringing them into their conference or, or, or something like that, would they be taking a chance that in a couple of years the whole thing could just blow up on them? I don't – yeah, I'm with you, John. I, I don't I don't think Deion Sanders is there in five years. He's either going to be a huge success and get hired up by a Florida State or, you know, Miles, my, my what trend – I think their win-loss is like two. Mm-hmm. Right now I think that's what their total is. Deion's never really lost before. Like how is he going to deal with that? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, that's a really good question. Is this, you know, is this whole, like, flipping the roster thing like they're doing? Like, I think it's great, like, in in theory, like, where we think college athletics are going. But what if there's legislation and you can't just start cutting guys and they have con- – right? Like, I I don't know. So, I think you're right, John. Like, I, to me, like, the Dion thing is just a nice, like it, – it's a nice side side thing for Colorado like to me like what I like about it is the history geographically it makes sense especially now you have BYU there uh gives you another mountain time zone um and then like for me it's just like oh I'm an Iowa State guy like I've seen them I've seen Colorado play there's history there the tornado game there's Cordell Stewart there's all these things that's the value for me um because I I just I don't see any way Deion Sanders does anybody really with a straight face think that Dion is has his heart set on building a powerhouse program in Boulder, Colorado for the next twenty years? No, no way. No. He's going somewhere else if he has success. And yeah, I don't I don't think the Big Twelve should be banking on that if that's indeed what they're doing. Because I, I just I give him give me the over under on Dion and, and Boulder and I'll put it at three and a half. And you guys can debate what you think yeah. will happen. I would probably take the under. And the interesting thing is, if he does stay there for five years and has great success and gets hired out of there, he's taking everybody with him. 
It's not yeah, like an, exactly. an old situation where a guy builds up a program and then he leaves, and at least you've got the players. You don't even have the players if if Dion leaves. You know, and they, you know, they they got a good basketball program too. I think that you, you got to think about it through. It, it's this your mark is, you know, I I think he's kind of nuts, but I also think that's what this league is is kind of needed. Like Bob Bullsby. I actually think that he gets a bad rap. I think he did as good as he could in the situation where you basically had to answer to Texas. And, and But now they need somebody with, with some radical thinking. And, you know, I, I know for a fact, like this guy's mindset, fellas, is in five years, he wants to split up their television contract. He He believes that in a streaming world where people are, you know, you're paying for subscriptions now. It doesn't matter. Like, Rutgers would never get added to the Big Ten in 2023 because right. cable boxes and all that crap right. is a thing of the past. And your mark thinks that there's going to be real value in basketball because it's, I use this example all the time. Why do they always put the Iowa State Kansas game on ESPN Plus? They could get great ratings on ESPN, but they know that all those sicko Iowa State and Kansas basketball fans are going to buy a subscription. And that's the way this thing's moving. And, and your mark believes that there's is not not as much college basketball is never going to be as big as football. That's not what I'm saying. But subscription costs are you know fifteen bucks a month is fifteen bucks a month. It doesn't matter if they're watching football or basketball games about it. And that's where he's banking on. So it, it, if the big if the Pac-12 thing doesn't come through. That's when you got your Yukons and your Gonzagas. I think that he would be really happy to get the four Pac-12 schools, stay sit at 16 until the ACC crumbles, which it's only a matter of time before that eventually happens. But it could be 10 years, right? Then you sit still. But if it doesn't happen, I think your mark's going after these basketball schools, and he is um, you know, making a real push for that next television contract. Got your passport up to date, ready to head to Mexico here in a few years? <laughs> no, well, I, it is up to date, but I, I, this is stupid. Like I, I, and again, like I get it. Like if you, if a if a bowl game is going to pay you like five million dollars and you can add it to your pot, like okay, should not be playing conference basketball games in Mexico. I, I will never be on board with that. I would challenge anybody out there who's an Iowa State or a Big Twelve fan that's blindly following them on this. Challenge yourself a little bit. This is a this is stupid. The you know Mexico City and Monterey are never going to be Big Twelve country, no matter what they tell you. There's never going to be like a pocket of Kansas State fans hanging out there. Uh, I hate this idea. I hate it when the NFL does it. I, I get it; it makes sense when they do it. But like, it, I really hate it though, guys, with these small college towns where these universities and these athletic departments are their partners to all the different businesses and. I'll be damned if they take a Big 12 football game and take it out of one of these small towns so the hotels and the restaurants miss out. That'll really that'll really tick me off. I, I really don't like where this is going, but I'm totally cool with the bowl game. I think that that's really smart. I'm fine with that. Like, whatever. We play bowl games in way worse places than Mexico. Do not take Big 12 football games and play them out of the country. That, that would be a huge, huge misstep in my opinion. Well, it's kind of what you get, Chris, when you have somebody that's thinking out of the box. They're going to stumble on some stuff no, that's, it. you know, that's yeah. that's a little weird. But I, but I I agree that they need 
everyone needs out of the box thinking. It's why I think if I'm if I'm an Iowa fan, I'm over the moon that Gary Bard is out of there. I mean, I I, I not think a guy he, that thinks outside the box. He's he's so out. He was outdated 15 years ago, and and yeah. you know it's like it's, it's like the sun came out. If you're an Iowa fan, it's like all of a sudden there's there's opportunity and hope and um, and all those things. But sometimes when when people are creating and they're different and they're not beholden to what has been done before they come up with some with some stinkers that the the baseball series that the giants and padres played in mexico mm-hmm. was ridiculous because it was a you know kind of regular sized ballpark at seven thousand feet and and both games were double digit you know on, on both sides and tons of home runs and that's all fun and games except wait a minute those stats count <laughs> right. for those pitchers yeah that's that's a that's a thing and so i i think um i think you gotta you gotta rein some of that stuff in sometime i was told that because I've, I've been asking a lot of people about this mexico deal because it just seems like you know like it is outside the box that's who he is cool and it, there's some sort of financial gain here and i I, we don't know what it is yet, but is the Big 12 cutting the deal with, like, you know, the Mexico City Tourism Agency to pay them to bring? I, I don't know. There's some sort of financial wind here for the Big 12. And, you know, when you are third in revenue and they, they don't ever – the Big 12 knows its role, from what I understand. They don't think that they're going to be the SEC or the Big 10. They're not trying to be. But this is your mark piecing things together to try and lessen the gap. And that's what he was hired to do. I, I just doesn't mean, I guess, that I have to like it. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's got to be some misses. Um, and if, you know, it's, uh, it's hard for me to praise the guy when I'm talking about this television deal thing because I think that's really smart. I don't know if it'll work, but I love the way he's, like, thinking through it. Uh, and then and then kill him for trying to add revenue by bringing a couple of games south of the border. It's like it kind of is what it is. I just th- these football games on Saturdays mean too much to these communities. You know, Iowa State and Kansas State tried this for a while in Kansas City, and it was actually really cool. As a fan, like you're an Arrowhead, the parking lots are full. But I also talked to business owners, and it's like, man, that that really sucks for us. So. Now that I guess I'm a little bit older, I care less about the tailgating and more about the health communities. Well, maybe someday I'll get there, but different. <laughs> we have different roles, <laughs> definitely. Hey, Williams, always good catching up with you. We'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thanks, fellas. Take care. Chris Williams, Iowa Everywhere and CycloneFanatic.com, joining us as he does each and every Friday here on Miller and Condon. You like tailgating? You know, I have I, I tailgated at 49er games uh-huh. once in a while when I was in college, and it was awesome. I, I don't know if I would dig it as much. We were thinking about uh, doing the Cyhawk uh, just for t- 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 the tailgate, not actually going to the game, but just doing the tailgate for, with both of my kids and and uh, seeing what that's all about. You'll have a good time. Okay. It's all right. It's I, I will. I will get tips from you on yes, how to pull that. I can off. help you out. Okay, I can help you out in Iowa City a little bit better than Ames, but we can definitely help you out. Okay, quick timeout. We'll come back on the other side. Get back into baseball and robo umps. What's John got for us as we continue taking up until one? Miller and Condon on one hundred six point three details. Wrapping up our number one here on Miller and Condon, KXNO, taking you to 1 o'clock. Murph and Andy then take over on a Friday. John Cannon hanging out with me, Trent Condon, this afternoon. And as we wrap up the first hour, a little baseball. We can get into this a little bit more as we open up the next hour. But 
Ken has been a longtime proponent of robo-umps. It's something that I have struggled to wrap my mind around. There's been different things about it, but you said you're watching a game just again yesterday, and the same thing comes up. What, a pitch in the exact same spot, when a strike, when a ball. Right, and it's well in the strike zone. And it's it just makes me crazy. And it's it's the problem with it is, and I have also been one very reluctant on the RoboWamps. Mm-hmm. I like the human element. Yes. I like the fact that framing's a skill, although when you really think about that, okay, you're fooling the umpire. Mm-hmm. Is that a skill, and is that something that should be celebrated? The Giants have a new catcher, Patrick Bailey, who apparently is really adept at this, and all the pitchers love to throw to him now because he's stealing strikes. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that teams should be able to steal strikes. That, that when, when it was phrased to me that way, is when I started to think, you know, I I don't think that's I don't think that's the point here. Um, these guys work really hard. These pitchers to learn how to throw and try to make the ball move where they're supposed to move and miss the bats. And if they throw the ball in the strike zone, it should be a strike. And if they don't, it should not be a strike. I mean, it really is that simple. That's what the game was based on all those years ago. And I think, Trent, that when this game was invented and people mostly threw the ball straight, having a human umpire back behind the catcher was a really good idea. Mm -hmm. And I think that then curveballs came in and then sliders and fork balls and split-fingered pitches that look like strikes until they disappear and they go out into nowhere. And I think... I've been looking at this the wrong way. I've been looking at this as an umpires are are stupid um, <laughs> standpoint, which is not the right way to do it. Let me just uh, make that clear before we get to the top of the year. I don't want to run out of time before I say that is not yeah. right. Umpires are taxed with a very difficult thing to do that's always been difficult. And anybody would say it's always been difficult. That's part of the job. But now it is super difficult. Pitchers are working. What, what did you know about pitch shapes? Two right. year, two years ago, yeah. had you ever heard of that? Well, in the advancement in the technology, yeah, and what we know about pitchers, it, it is something. I think the technology is catching up, and that has been my big thing. I, I want to continue this. We'll come yeah. back. Well, I've got an idea up. that that might might help this, and we'll do it after the top of the hour. Help out the umpires, and it's coming. We're going to have some kind of robo ump. We'll talk about this a little bit more. You can join us as well at two eight four five nine six six. Tom Cakert. Also, join us in our number two and your chance to win Claxon's Barbecue coming up at about 1245. Miller and Connick continues until 1 o'clock here on 106.3 KXNO.